Hi there, and lovely to have you along with me, Cleon and Neandlun, for another podcast edition of Spoken Stories. This Spoken Stories collection is called Creatures of the Earth, after a story and the title of a short story collection by John McGahern. Each new story started out by a writer considering where creatures of the earth could take them in a new story of their own. John McGahern often referred to the fact that his was the first generation born into independent Ireland. And so, in its way, this series is a natural expansion on its predecessor, Spoken Stories Independence, whose stories considered what independence could mean in a new story today, a hundred years after Ireland's War of Independence. Spoken Stories is a creative contribution to Ireland's decadive centenaries and illustrates how variously ideas can be interpreted. Here now is writer Eilish Nuhivne on her story, My Love, My Lake, My Forest. I decided um, to take my cue directly from John McGarhan, from his life and his writing, which has always been an inspiration and a model for me as a short story writer the luminosity and the thinginess of his prose. Also, I thought, I bet all the stories will be very Irish, set in the Irish countryside and so on, like a lot of McGarhan's writing. And this, in fact, has not been the case, as it transpired. But I didn't know that when I was writing my story. So McGarhan lived in Spain, of course, in England, in America, and for a time in Finland, and he wrote about these places occasionally. So I made up a story about a character who's a bit like the young McGarhan in my mind, and I based it in Finland. I can't write about a place I've never been to, and since I love the details of place, the earthiness of things... So I located it in the only bit of Finland I ever have spent any time in, which is Yautza, a little region in central Finland, a place full of lakes, something it has in common with Leitrim, although, of course, it's quite different in many other ways. A lot of McGarren's writing focuses on love and sex. I'm thinking of the great story, My Love, My Umbrella, which inspired my title up to a point, and the novel The Leave-Taking. So this is a love story with a bit of a bite based on my possibly too judgmental stance on McGarren's sometime attitude to women. He was a creature of the earth, but also, like all of us, a creature of his time. And now Aidan Kelly reads My Love, My Lake, My Forest. I met Isabel in a pub in a small town in Finland. She was sitting alone at a table, eating. I was at the next table. The menu in this pub offered two kinds of burger, one with cheese and one without. Also pizza and chicken curry. I must have stared too hard at her plate because she looked over at me and said, It's edible. I went up to the bar and ordered what she was having, plus a beer. I hadn't observed what she was drinking, only that she had fair hair tied up in a plait over her shoulder and an exquisite face. In other words, she looked like half the women I saw around the town. 
I went back to my table and opened a novel, a translation of Twelve Brothers. So far I had read less than a chapter of what is supposed to be a Finnish classic. I didn't think I would go on with it for much longer. My burger and chips came. I ate a forkful of meat and bread. I glanced over at her. She raised her glass, which contained water, and said, Kipis. I returned the toast. Then it dawned on me that she had spoken English the first time she addressed me. Did I really look so unfinished? That summer I was staying at an artist's residence on the edge of this town in central Finland. It was a big ramshackle timber house. Before that it had been some sort of manor, then a school. An enterprising artistic couple, Arya and Einar, had bought it and transformed it into a centre for artists and writers. I had left Ireland for more than one reason. The main one was that I had won a bursary and was writing a novel. The school in Dublin where I taught eight-year-old boys had kindly given me a year's leave of absence. I spent a few months in London, two months in Spain, and now I was in Finland. My novel was in fact finished. Buoyed up by the award, I had dashed it off quickly in my bedsit in Bedford Park. I had a draft ready by the time I got to Spain, and there I polished it up and sent it to a publisher who had expressed interest in my writing. I still hadn't heard back from them. I thought the book was good when I put it in the post, but now I was beginning to have doubts. I could have gone anywhere. When my sojourn in Spain was drawing to an end, I applied to three or four places in the north of Europe. All I wanted was to get away from the heat of the south. Arya in Finland was the first one to reply, so I accepted, although I knew nothing about the country. I liked the name of the place, though, and I liked the music of Sibelius and lakes. Central Finland is all lakes. In County Leitrim, where I live now, there are 200 of them. In the small village district where I stayed in Finland, there are 192. Lakes secreted like shining diamonds in the darkest forests I had ever seen. Walking in those woods was like walking into the depths of my mind. Naturally, what I was hoping for was inspiration, hidden under the trees like magic mushrooms. No inspiration was forthcoming. But I learned a few things. For instance, I realised that one could go into the forest and never come out. And I understood the forests of fairy tales, with their secret cottages, their bears and wolves, their magic and danger. I wasn't afraid of getting lost, though, because most of the paths were marked with little signposts, some blue, some red, some yellow. Trails for hikers. I didn't meet a hiker, though, or anyone at all on my walks, or a single animal. I heard birds singing, but I never saw a hare or a rabbit or a squirrel. There are bears in those woods. Moose. 
also wolves. That was Isabel. The evening after I first saw her, I went right back to the pub, on the off chance that she'd be there. Yes. I smiled at her and told her I was a poet, which was close enough to the truth. I never told a man I was a writer in those days, but I'd noticed that women everywhere liked this information. There's no sign of them where I go rambling. You don't see them, but they see you, she said. They mustn't fancy me, I said. She went on explaining. People are advised to make noise, talk or sing, to warn off any wild animals that may be about. But going in a group is the safest option. I spotted an opening. She agreed to join my group. My group of two. We met at the start of the Red Trail, behind the school. The voices of children playing in the yard floated through the air. That melody of young sound which always catches my heart. Those voices, collected in the air, has a ghostly quality, as if the sound had travelled through centuries or aeons, like light from a far-off planet. A message from a bygone age. Needless to say, it doesn't sound like that when you are a teacher on yard duty. Is there anything as lovely as the sound of voices of children playing? I said to Isabel. No. And then she asked me if I liked children. Of course, I said. Then added, I'm a school teacher. She was wearing pale trousers and a white thick anorak with a fringe of cream fur around the hood. An oatmeal-coloured woolen cap which was a shade lighter than her hair. Her eyes, I could see now clearly in the daylight and against her clothes and skin, were the pure, vivid blue of forget-me-nots. She took the lead and we walked on a trail I hadn't used before. Pine trees shut out the light. The wind moved in her hair as she strode, glow of the walking in her face. She was always a bit ahead of me. Once I lost sight of her completely, she simply vanished. I could see only the tree trunks, their dry bark with its menacing lizard skin pattern, the deep quicksand carpet of pine needles, brown and green and fragrant, in which no footprint could linger. Isabel! Isabel! I stood still for five minutes or so, trying to remain calm. If we separated, I would be lost. Alone. But eventually, after what seemed like a long time, she reappeared, adjusting her trousers. No explanation or apology. I started talking about the flowers in the lanes in Leitrim, just to keep the flow of sound going, to chain her to me with talk. The hawthorn hedges, in bloom now. The primroses and violets, wild orchids, the cowslips in the meadows, the buttercups, the meadowsweet, the windflowers. I wondered aloud if flowers interested me because my mother had been fond of them, or if I would have loved them anyway, independently. Isabel listened closely. You adored your mother. Yes, 
And your father? He's still alive. Just the word father made me feel angry and ashamed. I couldn't bring myself to talk about him. At all, at that stage in my life. We were silent for some minutes. Then, to my surprise, she asked abruptly if I had a partner, a girlfriend. No. She raised her eyebrows. Not at the moment, I went on. She continued to look questioningly at me. Of course, I've had some relationships in the past, but nothing since last year. I am just finishing a relationship, she said in her blunt, honest Finnish way, as I thought. By then we had come to a lake with picnic tables on its shore. We sat at one and she took bread and cheese and olives and white wine from her rucksack, which was more capacious than it looked. The tiny lake waves lapped as she spread a white cloth on the table. We ate our lunch very slowly and walked for another few miles afterwards. By the time we got back to the village, it was six o'clock, a time when the few streets were always completely deserted. I hesitated at the junction where we had met, expecting her to invite me back to her house. But she didn't even kiss me on the cheek, just said, Thank you for a lovely day, turned on her heel and walked away. I am usually lucky with women, not that I am the world's most handsome man. I inherited my looks from my mother's side of the family, not my father's. But that doesn't matter. The women I like are attracted to my brains. So it seems. Of course, I like them, the women, to be intelligent too, just as long as their brains are accompanied by an attractive face. Two days after the hike, we met again in the pub. We chatted for a few hours. She told me a lot about her childhood. I lost track before she was halfway through, but nodded and encouraged the narrative, and she didn't notice that I had stopped listening. When it was time to go, I put my arms around her, a half-hug, and asked if she would like a nightcap in my room. She shook her head but she asked me if I had been in a sauna. I said no, although actually I had been in a sauna. There was one in the artist's house. She invited me to come to visit her the following day. Her cottage was a traditional house. Red timber, with a lot of wood inside it as well. The sauna was in a small building at the back. It was perched on the edge of a lake, like a boathouse. We went down to it. Inside were a few rooms, a little bathroom, a changing room, and the sauna itself. Isabel took off all her clothes and placed them on a chair. I turned on the heat earlier. It's ready, she said, looking at me. Her body was perfect. I averted my eyes. Should I? What? take off my clothes. Well, it's unusual to go into a sauna with them on. I pretended to chuckle. You can leave on your undies, if you prefer. Undies. Not a word in my vocabulary.
she opened the door and disappeared into it. I stripped off and, embarrassed, opened the door and entered. There were two benches, one higher and one lower. Isabel was sitting in the corner of the lower one. It was rather dark and I couldn't see her very well. I stepped up to the higher bench and sat there. Music played, something harmless. Chopin, maybe. I closed my eyes and gradually relaxed. Without knowing how, I allowed the music and the dry heat to sink through my skin into my body. My mind emptied. I mean, no memories, ideas, worries were running through it. A very unusual state of affairs. I even forgot that Isabel was in the sauna with me. And at the same time, I knew I was not going to fall asleep. After a while, I had lost track of time. She said, Now we are going to jump into the lake. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. She stood up, opened the door and beckoned me. Right beside the door of the sauna was another door, which I hadn't noticed before. Now open. The lake water was right outside, lapping the sides of the shed. She jumped in. Not relishing the plan at all, I had no choice but to follow. I hate jumping into water and can barely swim. Then back into the sauna. Its heat was like heaven after the cold water. Good, isn't it? Delightful. We repeated this horrible exercise three times. Finally, the ordeal was over. We wrapped ourselves in toweling robes and went back into the house. I was ferociously hungry, but wondered if we should dress before eating. I'm not going to, she said. I feel much too comfortable in this. Her robe slipped away, and I could see the cleft between her large golden breasts as I drank the red wine. I wondered if we were finally going to make love. I hardly dared to initiate anything, but I didn't need to. When we had eaten, she came to me, opened her white robe and let it slip to the ground. I took her in my arms and kissed her, her face and lips, her nipples, her mound of golden hair. She laughed and squealed with pleasure. We made love three times and fell asleep in that white bed in a white room somewhere in that beautiful house. The next day was sunny and we had coffee and rolls in the open air. How do you feel? She poured coffee into a thick, beautiful mug. Happy. I looked at the soft lake water, the dark forest, the blue sky, and at her the most beautiful woman I had ever slept with. Yes, me too. Let's get married. The words came from my mouth like the song of a lark on the first morning of spring, or summer, or whatever it was. Do you take milk in your coffee? Yes, thanks. I'm married, you know, she said. I guessed. But I can get a divorce. 
We planned to anyway. Divorce. The word was like a bell. Ireland fell like a dark cloud across the sun. I remembered altogether in a jumble, a cloud of darkness, the archbishop, the school where boys were beaten for the slightest transgression, the parish priest who offered me whiskey and told me the times of the sodality, my father, who symbolized everything that was wrong with the country, as well as, maybe, some things that were right. I, too, was married. My proposal to Isabel was worthless. There was no chance that I could get a divorce, even if my wife had agreed to one, which she had not. She wrote to me three times a week and was still in love with me. God knows why. She insisted on believing that I would go back to her, that we would be in love again, have a baby. We had fallen out over this question already. A baby was the last thing I wanted, then or ever. A writer has no greater enemy than the pram in the hall. Even though I knew our marriage was over, I had told her the year was a break. We'd see how we felt when I got back. As for Isabel, I had painted her a picture of Ireland as a beautiful, easy-going country, where people talked a lot and were naturally friendly where the hedgerows were bright and fragrant with wildflowers, the towns cheerful with cosy pubs. I'd presented her a picture worthy of a bored Fulcher ad on the telly, or the vision of Eamon de Valera, sexed up. I'd sold it so well that now I doubted if Isabel would find it easy to grasp at the other side of Ireland. The regulation of our sexual lives, the ban on divorce, not to mention contraception, abortion, homosexuality. I was right. She found it hard to believe. So you can't get a divorce or contraception because you're a Catholic? No, I'm an atheist. I can't get a divorce because it's against the law in Ireland. That is weird. Why do the Protestants and the others stand for it? They have no choice. They're a minority. Women aren't a minority. Why do they stand for it? They're afraid they'll go to hell if they don't have all the kids God gives them. God. Isabel drank some coffee and thought. We can just live together. There's no way a teacher can live with someone he's not married to in Ireland. Living in sin is what we call it. Teachers aren't allowed to live in sin because it would be a bad example to the pupils and their parents and, you know, everyone. She laughed and opened her white robe. I am a sin? She was as perfect as a raindrop. We could live here, I said, or somewhere else on the continent. On the continent. We used that phrase a lot back then. But I didn't want to live on the continent, not in Finland or Spain or France. I didn't want to live anywhere other than in Ireland, my beautiful, ridiculous Ireland. 
The people and the landscape and the language where I had grown up were like my breathing. I hated Ireland, but I loved it just as much. You'll just have to forget the teaching. You'll have to write more books. Isabel poured another cup of coffee. No more teaching. No more eight-year-old boys to distract me from my true vocation. Me and the blank page and a lovely woman to share my life with. In a lovely place. By a lake. They couldn't arrest me for living in sin. They could ban my books. But not me. The solution was so simple, after all. The water lapped against the shoreline, encouragingly, rhythmical like well-made sentences, sweet like the sound of poetry, like the lost laughter of my childhood. And then there was another sound, a silver doorbell tinkled, little high-pitched voices squeaked like cheeky birds. Isabel jumped up, but before she could get to the door, two children climbed over the veranda railing, yapping and giggling. Mama, they shouted. An eight-year-old boy and a younger girl. Isabel hugged them. Let me introduce you to my kids. She smiled at me and mumbled some unintelligible names. I learnt those names later the same day, before I dressed and said goodbye to Isabel. But I have long forgotten them. Although I have a good memory for some things. There you heard Aidan Kelly read My Love, My Lake, My Forest by Eilish Nihuevne for Spoken Stories, Creatures of the Earth. Next time, Dmitry Vinokurov reads Ness and Dorma by Evgeny Storn. And you can enjoy all the commissioned fiction of Spoken Stories as they are broadcast on RTE Radio 1 on rte.ie forward slash culture and wherever you get your podcasts. From me, Cleon and Ianlun, Thank you for listening.